Namaste Jai Hind welcome to another edition of ANI podcast with Smita Prakash Today we discuss how important it is for a head of state or a head of government to have communication skills Mr Narendra Modi ever since he became the prime minister of India has rewritten the rules about how a head of government communicates with the public He hasn't held a single press conference since he took office in 2014 He's given several one-on-one interviews to journalists in the past 9 years and almost every day there is a public speech where he addresses specific issues with target audiences but his flagship communication outreach is man ki baat To talk about this program we have in our studio author of a book on the same subject Shashi Shekhar is a technology expert who became part of team Modi when the BJP picked the Gujarat chief minister to be the prime minister candidate he's interacted closely with Mr Modi and has been part of team Modi So Mr Shashi Shekhar thank you so much for being part of the podcast I'm going to take the liberty of calling you by first name because you know if I don't get that on record that I can call you by first name <laughs> I get a lot of by all means by all thank you thank you because then otherwise people turn around and say that oh you've insulted the guest and all that so <laughs> no, I'm going to fine. insist that uh, you know this is an informal conversation so we're going to have first name basis sure of course we'll discuss this uh, book that you have written on uh, collective spirit concrete action man ki baat and its influence on india uh, and uh, you know but i must say that i've been following uh, you on social media for a long time uh, when you had that twitter handle called off stumped and you used to write about everything non necessarily just politics you used to tweet on on international affairs um, on pakistan on terrorism and uh, and so much more and then you gave up all that to become part of team modi and but part of the campaign to elect Mr Modi as uh, prime minister of India so we'll go through a gamut of issues but thank you so much for being part of the podcast i want to begin uh, shashi by asking you that uh, about mr modi being a communicator there's a lot of which has been written about that so let's trace that because we're recording this just before uh, the prime minister is going to embark on this very important visit to the us um and uh, there's a lot that comes in uh, you know in conversations about how he's this excellent communicator um, but you have tracked him over the years you've seen how he used social media uh, before he became prime minister and then when he came in 2014 so um, tell me what is what was your view when you saw him as chief minister and using social media and then later when he became prime minister i think it's a great question uh, if you look at uh, mr modi's career Uh, you know going all the way back uh, to the uh, the decades that he was chief minister and i would in fact go even further back uh, to when he was in the party at uh, the bjp as well you will see that uh, as a communicator uh, he is uh, not shy of using technology uh, he is very innovative uh, and he is constantly looking to establish an emotional connection in any conversation that happens uh, on the stage you know in a public setting uh uh if i recall this interview that he had given to rajiv shukla way back even before he was chief minister and he talks about his passion for technology how he is you know uses his laptop browses the internet uh, so he is he is very comfortable with technology and uh, once he became chief minister uh, you know of course the the political circumstances of that uh, period were such uh, that the entire media was very hostile to him he had to find other ways of getting his message across 
and i think that is where you see his innovation uh, coming through where he was able to use technology to disintermediate the traditional media platforms to directly reach his constituents directly connect with his audience uh, he was one of the first to take to uh, you know twitter and facebook he was perhaps the first to do live streaming of his speeches on youtube it was very easy to follow uh, cm modi uh, on the uh, trail whether it is campaign or whether doing you know different public events because he would every speech of his would be on uh, youtube right Uh, and then he was also not shy of experimenting with really new technologies like 3D, uh, you know, holography to do uh, public rallies. Uh, uh, I recall. Uh, This is now you're talking about 2014. When no, no, even no, before that. Even before that. Even before that. Okay. The, in fact, the first 3D rallies were done during the 2012 Gujarat uh, Assembly elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even prior to that. Uh, and that was already when he had done uh, three terms. as chief minister as so chief minister. you've got to be innovative i guess to get your message across because people are tired of listening to the same Correct. thing right in fact uh, he was the first to do a google hangout in mm. india and i recall that day this was hosted by ajay devgan and the youtube india servers just crashed so they were like 30 45 minutes behind schedule because they had to get the servers back up and running because that was such interest this is 2011 2012 mm. we're talking about Uh, so so clearly he is uh, someone that uh, has uh, looked at technology uh, as a way to innovate hmm. as a way to connect with you know diversity of audiences now you see that once he has become prime minister the scale has changed in fact even during the campaign of 2014 because one thing that was very different in the 2014 uh, election campaign apart from the use of social media and you know youtube and live streaming and so on uh, there was also digital volunteering uh, there was this platform that was created in year 272 Uh, where uh, people from all walks of life uh, mm. people who would traditionally not appear at a public rally or step into a party office got involved in the campaign uh, they were able to you know engage uh, with the campaign digitally uh, and and that digital volunteer platform then became mygov mm. uh, once he became prime minister uh, so so the scale changed now it was about you know engaging citizens making them stakeholders within you know whatever developmental uh, mission that he had Uh, and then comes monkey bath and traditional broadcasting uh, because the thought process is still the same just that you went back to an older technology because now you wanted to change the reach mm. now you're talking of reach at a billion scale right and and that's where you know radio c- comes in and and then you see this pattern of innovation continuing with the modi app uh, mm. with uh, you know newer forms of social media uh, the other thing about him as a communicator i think he's a master class in terms of uh, communication because if you look at every one of his speeches there will always be an element which is a uh, very personal emotive that connects with the audience in fact i saw this during the uh, 2013 2014 campaign period he would be traveling to different parts of the country and every speech of his would start with you know few sentences in the local language he would talk about some local poet a local shrine and a local hero uh, so so instantly that emotional connection is established mm. and you see the same method uh, even in man ki baat where across Uh, you know episodes he's talking of local heroes uh, local personalities different parts of india making connections that we otherwise will not you know make uh, and i think that is what makes his method of communication very effective because people are instantly able to relate to him connect with him emotionally so um, would you say that like they say necessity mother of invention uh, would you say that the reason why he took to technology and uh, innovative means of communication is because of what you said was the hostile media uh, so for those of us uh, you know who are, for those who are listening in uh, youngsters who don't remember what 
Mr. Modi faced uh, as far as the media is concerned. What happened in Gujarat? I mean, many people know about Gujarat uh, post Godra and things like that. What happened then? Do you think that you know th- that did did Narendra Modi go into a shell? Mm-hmm. Was that hostility from the media? Is because he saw uh, he saw them as 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 a factor which was uh, against him and wanted him toppled. Was he was he justified in that that hostility that relationship which went sour? I think it's a very interesting question because one has to understand uh, you know what exactly happened back then. Uh, in fact, my own personal discovery of Modi goes back to that period. Yeah. Uh, because I was uh, in the US, I uh, used to blog, uh, I was politically aware that way. And one of the things that I observed, especially after the 2002 riots, uh, there was a very concerted, biased uh, manner in which the media was out to get him. Uh, and and this was not based always on facts. In fact, uh, I remember uh, the series of uh, uh, analytical articles uh, in the Hindu by then Siddharth Vardarajan. Uh, where uh, he was talking about what happened in the Godra incident and then what happened in the riots. And you see so many contradictions. And mm-hmm. there's a very you know elaborate set of articles. And uh, on the face of it, you know, the average reader will take it at face value. They would not, you know, get into the depths. But then once it became obvious to me that uh, there were so many contradictions in, in this narrative that was being created. In fact, that kind of triggered my whole blogging <laughs> saga back yeah. then. And... Uh, so, so, the so off-stumped, uh, if people blog. don't uh, know about it, <laughs> some of us who have been tracking you since then, uh, we remember reading about all this. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so clearly he was uh, having this uh, very antagonistic, uh, you know, relationship with the media, and uh, and it was not helping. Uh, and and one incident that stands out to me uh, in my mind. Uh, in this entire narrative that was created around 2002, and you know how uh, they have tried to portray him and paint him in a certain manner. That after the 2002 riots, before the 2002 December, uh, you know, Gujarat elections, uh, which he is famously, you know, reviled for that, you know, he was very aggressive and, you know, mm-hmm. it's a communalized, polarized election and so on. People forget that in between these two, a very big incident happened. The terrorist attack in Akshardham temple, mm-hmm. where several people died. Uh, the, the terrorists were, of course, hunted down eventually. Uh, and the attack on Akshardham and Gandhinagar, did not trigger any riots. There were no incidents of violence. In fact, uh, Mr. Modi went on Doordarshan at that time and, and appealed for calm and, and that had an impact. Now, this doesn't come anywhere in the narrative. People just jump from February 2002 all the way to December 2002. People forget that September, such a major event occurs and then it was uneventful. Nothing happened. Hmm. Uh, so, so, so that kind of tells you how hostile the media was against him. And uh, and hence it became very important for him to find other avenues of communicating, and which is where social media comes in, which also is where bloggers like myself got you know discovered, uh, because we were you know trying to counter uh, the sort of narrative that was you know being put out in the newspapers, be it the Hindu, be it Aaj Tak doing its famous uh, infamous sting back then, you know Tehelka and so on. Uh, so 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 you had bloggers on one side, you had social media, and then of course you had uh, live streaming. Now, is, was he right? Was it justified? Uh, well, I mean, it was the situation the way it was. And, and, and he had to find innovative ways of persisting. And he was so committed to his cause because other politicians could have, you know, just given in, uh, mm-hmm. which he didn't. He was, I think, so committed to his cause that he found other ways. Uh, but uh, does that uh, reduce his, uh, you know, use of technology only to this aspect? No, I would not agree with that. Uh, because I think uh, if you go back to his organizing days, 
uh, he has always been about engaging uh, volunteers engaging at the grassroots mm. and you will see this you know going way back to as one of his first elections uh, the ahmedabad uh, municipal elections uh, where i recall him describing how he went about engaging with households uh, you know he would go in the afternoons engage with housewives get them involved in this municipal campaign and that was perhaps one of the first time that the bjp won the the municipal elections in ahmedabad mm. and and uh, he talked about how he used vaishnav jan in a very interesting way to engage with them so again you see that same method of uh, grassroots engagement uh, using cultural symbols making an emotional connect technology is of course a force multiplier and which is what you see in the later years in uh, you know when you were talking about uh, initially you said a whole bunch of these technocrats or people who were in tech field who joined in in the campaign in 2014 right. you know who who became interested and and at that time you know i was as a media person sitting outside and the buzz at that time was that how does he expect to win not cultivating traditional media not using people who know the media you know like the the big wigs <coughs> of the media for right. that the big anchors and the big names of media i leave you to name them not me <laughs> <laughs> so he was talking and then he was not just not engaging with them he was also using terms like news traders right for them right, right? right. and very uh, politely referring to them while giving interviews to journalists from those uh, uh, from those media organizations so it was like he wasn't shying away from calling names absolutely absolutely so and, and then using <coughs> these new found people who came in from singapore us everybody to be part of that election right. so how did he get about doing that at that stage and how how come he was so sure that he was going to use these people who were the newbies and still win the communication battle so there, there was a process of change if you see uh, 2004 it, you know technology was too early not not much of technology played a role but 2009 was the first time uh, blogging made a you know an appearance in the political trail you had bloggers for adwani you had friends of bjp.org which was created by rajesh jain so all online yeah initiatives so already you saw the uh, the seeds hmm. uh, in the 2009 election Uh, of course that was not the right election for you know uh, for uh, all of this to make a difference but there was a beginning it just started uh, what we forget uh, after what happened after 2009 uh, the radia tapes i think the radia tapes went a long way uh, hmm. in uh, you know undermining or demolishing the credibility of the so called traditional uh, you know media big wigs people who uh, monopolized prime time Uh, I recall uh, when the uh, the no confidence when there was the votes uh, note for votes scam and you know yeah. the the confidence vote in parliament. I recall watching how the prime time anchors got excited uh, when you know the the votes were tallied in the Lok Sabha. It just you know made it so apparent that there was no semblance of neutrality. Uh, they were completely biased, uh, and and uh, and then you had this whole radio tape incident, and which kind of confirmed. what everyone all along suspected with you know what was going on with media in delhi uh, and and so that helped them immensely because it's not enough to just you know use technology it's not just enough to bring in a whole set of new faces uh, to engage with people uh, but more importantly uh, you had uh, this environment where the traditional media stood discredited and i think that made a huge difference and hence uh, by 2013 when you had you know social media had already gained traction uh, you know twitter uh, especially after the uh, you know 2008 terrorist attacks twitter kind of became popular in india it just grew you know leaps and bounds uh, youtube live streaming took off 
so all of these came together i think that's mm. what made the difference i'm going to come to neutrality and uh, of the media because now it's the other way around because people say that <laughs> there is no neutrality uh, at all it's like jo bhi kursi pe baitha hai usko salam so uh, there is no neutrality as far as media is concerned because it's now shifted its loyalties towards uh, the bjp and mr narendra modi and uh, that was apparent uh, Uh, in the way you know elections we just saw the karnataka elections that's what everybody is saying um but i'll come to that uh, mm. later um in 2013 and 2014 um what captured the imagination of the people as far as communication is concerned uh, how did mr modi uh, suddenly you know spring on the scene as the perfect candidate for prime minister and not say a sushma swaraj right. who at that time was like everybody thought that okay she is the natural heir but here comes this uh, mr modi <coughs> who people don't know about he is considered a regional leader but the communication uh, skills of that team modi was so great that suddenly uh, sushma swaraj was out of the scene and it was mr modi <laughs> <laughs> well i don't think it was that sudden hmm. uh, in fact let me rewind a little back further okay. uh, because i recall writing about this in my blog as well uh, 2006 i recall when pramod mahajan unfortunately you know because everyone thought he was the natural heir at that hmm. time and then unfortunately this incident happens and he passes away uh, and i remember writing in my blog that uh, this just you know opens an avenue for uh, narendra modi uh, and i think even shekhar gupta at some point uh, wrote hmm. something similar in uh, in his indian express column Uh, around that same time frame i recall i remember having a twitter exchange <laughs> with you at that time like how are you saying that right. there is there are so many others right. and stuff the reason being uh, in fact oh, this goes back to your question what was so different hmm. he spoke a different language okay a language uh, that you didn't hear uh, narun jaitley or sushma swaraj or anyone talk and a language that was appealing to my generation because if you recall my generation came out of uh, was the product of the 80s and 90s mm. we came out of that uncertainty of the mandal uh, period uh, the ram janmabhoomi agitation uh, you know uh, coalition governments which were unstable the rupee got devalued you know gulf war so much of uncertainty right uh, and then uh, when we came out of college and we entered the job market that is when things started changing the whole it boom just about started Uh, and and i recall uh, you know late 90s uh, when the it boom was you know just mm. india was being talked about uh, there was so much of promise you felt that you were making history you felt that you were making a difference now that generation felt quite let down uh, mm. once the the vajpayee government was voted out mm. and the upa government came in and the, the whole rhetoric the narrative of governance was very very different it was not aligned with that aspirational generation and then here you have mr modi who's you know talking very different things he's talking about minimum government he's talking about getting the government out of business he's talking about technology innovation entrepreneurship now that is something this generation was you know very able easily uh, relate to i recall he had gone to china as a chief minister <coughs> and when he came back uh, there was a speech in business standard carried it i mean that was the first time i heard an indian politician talking about minimum government maximum governance and 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 that is something that then you see you know makes its appearance in his speeches quite consistently uh, in fact i recall 2012 gujarat elections hmm. uh, there were multiple phases of voting and i think in between one of those phases uh, he wrote a blog which appeared in the times of india uh, where again he talked about you know this whole philosophy of minimum government 
so so you see entrepreneurship a limited role for government was a new rhetoric that was unheard of mm. anywhere in the political landscape and it appealed to this generation hence this generation got involved uh, you know uh, in the digital campaigning of 2013 2014 you spoke about uh, as a young techie being kind of disappointed with the narrative of that time and what what was happening i don't i don't be mean to be pejorative when i say techie but you know what i mean uh, you know those who were in their late 20s or early 30s at that time uh, where did you feel that uh, you know why were you disappointed in say a dr manmohan singh at that time um i'm going to keep coming back to uh, communication skills because that's what the book is all about about man ki baat uh, so um there was economic reforms happening india was uh, i mean the second generation reforms if you want to call them uh, the nuclear deal had been signed with america india was opening up do you think to a large extent there was this that dr manmohan singh could not carry the narrative uh, he was seen as a weak or accidental mm. prime minister he himself talks about that right right was that to a large extent responsible for mr modi's rise as a communicator uh, in a way uh, because uh, you know as a young techie <laughs> i was okay. in the us at that time and i recall uh, being part of you know a whole movement there to create uh, uh, you know favorable conditions for the nuclear deal we all you know wrote letters to the local congressman uh, it was a moment of you know uh, mm. it didn't matter that it was a congress government or whoever yeah. was a government it was a big thing for india mm. that the nuclear deal would you know uh, happen uh, so in that sense uh, all of us uh, you know related to that moment uh, with dr manmohan singh but then it became very apparent that there was a basic fundamental contradiction uh, between um, uh, mr manmohan dr manmohan singh as the prime minister Uh, and and sonia gandhi and the national advisory council and their entire agenda be it ncrt textbooks be it in fact nobody talks about what they did to ncrt textbooks even you see every day today you know articles on yeah. ncrt textbooks uh, be it uh, you know this entire agenda around uh, you know uh, rights be it forest rights be, you know in the name of rights they created uh, you know this entire culture of entitlement uh, it, which i think uh, was completely running counter to the kind of aspirational change that many of us wanted in it Uh, and and of course uh, mr dr manmohan singh's communication abilities were uh, when very very mediocre uh, let's put it that way mm. he was not a public speaker he was very uh, uncomfortable he didn't inspire confidence uh, so so clearly that was also playing you know uh, and then of course what happened with the 2g scam and you know the radia tapes all of that i think added up uh, mm. to create the perfect set of conditions for a modi to rise i guess a political leadership understanding that a prime minister cannot be just an administrator needs to be a communicator too uh it's uh, and not just a communicator needs to be a good administrator too somewhere was there in 2014 did that uh, did that come together in a mr modi bilkul uh, i think you can see that uh, in fact uh, even in the book i mentioned this dr yeah. parmeshwar nair brings up this point that uh, mr modi plays that role not just as chief executive but also as communicator in chief i think as you rightly pointed out it's two roles you have to you know lead the administration and you also have to communicate what you're doing hmm. and i think he's been very effective at uh, doing both of those so this book also is that you know it's like what is the need to write a book on man ki baat he's already spoken that but there's always uh, you know that saying jungle nacha mor kisne dekha if a peacock is dancing in the forest nobody really knows and unless it's now been videoed and right. put on twitter and on instagram <laughs> so you can't be a shrinking violet anymore you can't just be a doer of things you need to tell the world you need to tell your people that this is what it has been has been achieved now the bjp takes that to a 
whole different level <laughs> and that's the criticism that uh, that many people uh, who who don't have their sympathies with the bjp say that it's it's a too much of too much of talk too much of boasting about your achievements can you just pipe down a bit is that is that valid that criticism yes and no when i talk about uh, you know him being the the communicator in chief there is one aspect which is i think very distinctive uh, he is perhaps india's first uh, not just the prime minister but also as a politician who thinks digital first hmm. i think that's very important that today's communication uh, world it's not just about you know broadcast or print uh, you have to think digital first your first statement on an incident is 140 characters on twitter your first you know a reaction to something is an image on instagram or you know or, or a live stream on youtube and so on so that digital first i think is a very distinctive aspect about his uh, communication and which also relates to what you are just now talking about why is the bjp so you know uh, do they go overboard or are they over communicating is there you know such a glut of communication that's happening i think it has to do with the fact that uh, in this digital era where attention spans are so small Uh, where uh, there's just so much of overload of information so many things that are you know crowding up your timelines your whatsapp groups and so on for you to get your message through uh, you have to over communicate uh, because in the hope that you know out of those 10 things that you uh, create maybe one will get noticed hmm. and i think that's the reality we are seeing that i mean forget politics i mean in the media business you run a media company i've run a media company as well uh, and and you see the analytics the data the attention spans are so small it is so yeah. hard unless you know it's a phenomenally controversial subject you just can't get attention of audiences and okay. the audiences are fragmented across you know a wide variety of topics uh, so 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 that is perhaps the reason so why you flood the audience jo lena le lo usme se because because something will you know stick out something will stand out uh, also i think uh, there is a uh, an element of uh, people also overreacting hmm that they're too sensitive to you know some of this communication you look at the united states when the politics there is so polarized there is yeah. so i mean their prime time is uh, when wait more polarized than our prime time hmm. i mean I, we don't even you know compare there i used to listen to talk radio uh, in the us uh, when i was there and you have people like, I mean, now he's no more rush limbo and so on yeah. shawn hanity <laughs> and all these guys they were so polarized i mean i mean the Correct. manner they would describe uh, hillary clinton language like, the language the names they would call her yeah Uh, I mean, we are still hesitant in uh, in our uh, radio and te- television <laughs> right. broadcast to use abusive language. Yeah. Whereas Rush Limbaugh and all, they were like very. I've I've yeah. So, so I've heard compared that. to what goes on in the US, which is you know the one of the world's largest democracies after India, uh, I think we are quite tame and mild. I I think uh, our uh, uh, thinking elite hmm. tend to overreact hmm. uh, a lot. Uh, I don't think that's you know, you know about the information. Uh, information glut i don't know the exact word to use because i mean you've been ceo prasar bharti we'll talk about that hat that you wore but it's also that uh, things change and i just feel that we left europe behind years ago you know we've talked about america let's talk about europe i'll i'll give you this one instance that uh, i was covering uh, dr manmohan singh's visit to germany and there was this one uh, press interaction where ms merkel spoke in german language and uh, so response to a journalist then the journalists all the german journalists moved away and we were the indian team we didn't know what she had said in response to the question so uh, we went to their uh, official people from their uh, thing and uh, from their ministry of external affairs their foreign ministry and said can we get a translation so they said uh, no because that is her office which will give the translation i said okay then can 
can we can you direct me so spoke to that person where is the translation we need to put it out for our print and our television what did she say where is the translation because there's no direct translation nobody had direct translation imagine so um when is that going to happen um uh, today's saturday evening so by monday you'll get <laughs> this is something that we left behind maybe 20 years ago in india simultaneous translation happens the script is given to you what the foreigner a foreign dignitary has spoken so he said we're going to be boarding the flight to india uh, who's going to do uh, can you ask the german embassy in india to translate for you <laughs> the german embassy is closed because it's a sunday uh. so this is what i'm trying to say to you is that how europe got left behind 10 12 years ago where we was we were at loss so he said now now we will be reporting on just what the indian prime minister said your prime minister won't get reported at all they couldn't be bothered <laughs> they not bothered what your foreign media writes now compare this with what how narendra modi's media coverage is before you before the prime minister goes there's already one potha of information which is given to you about the earlier visits of mr <laughs> modi to that nation it's given to you so that when you go on air i'm talking about the tv channels mm-hmm. they already mm-hmm. have this information they don't need to google it right. they have that information what what is the prime minister's agenda so even those regional channels which cannot afford to send a reporter to a foreign visit has that information with them so uh, it's it's great that uh, the team of mr modi is providing this information how did mr modi get this team together you tell me because you're part of team modi you didn't expect no, me to come there i'm sure <laughs> uh, well well just to set the record uh, <clears throat> well i'm i'm part of uh, team extended modi not team modi right so. there are these concentric circles concentric circles right so uh, i think it has evolved over the years uh, hmm. yeah, when you go back to when he was chief minister you know the digital operation that was managing his social media presence is you know live streaming and so on then uh, it grows into uh, india 272 then mygov and then once he is prime minister you got this modi app which has become now the focal point of a lot of the communication uh, and then what is striking is uh, the multilingual manner in which it communicates mm. be it uh, uh, the short videos be it the speeches i mean take man ki baat itself right we i mean we do it in 40 plus languages yeah uh, 11 foreign languages and it's all done within that 24 hour time frame it's not like you know wait <laughs> wait for next monday when the translator comes back to the office right so this machinery has grown over that time. is like phenomenal right okay. because you're working with uh, radio government uh, you know i i don't mean to be rude but it is slothful compared Absolutely. to the private Absolutely. sector yeah. so to, uh, to be able to get that uh, you know yeah. sleeping machinery to deliver at this pace in mm. so many languages you know flawlessly you know without mistakes i think it's it's a amazing what has happened hmm. uh, so it's it's the message discipline so what about the team modi thing the t- team that 272 and all those things that happened who were these people who got together and said yes we will give up our day jobs <laughs> give up uh, you know whatever job and these were good jobs that right. you you right. yourself yeah. uh, gave up a, a fabulous career Uh, in america you could have had a comfortable okay. suburban life in america okay. Okay. you give up and you come back to the country i i know of several people who did that what was that motivation to become part of team modi in 2014 2019 and now well 2014 i can uh, talk more authoritatively because i think all of us were part of that uh, phenomenon uh, it was about uh, you know it's now or never right uh, it's about uh, making the change happen 
Uh, change is not going to happen by itself. And and uh, so so we all and then you had a leader who was talking your language. He was giving a vision that all of us could relate to, and mm-hmm. all of us were aspiring for that. You know, this is the kind of change that we want to see in India. And and that was the motivation that got everyone involved. Uh, and and technology lowered the barrier because expecting these guys to go to the party office, meet someone there, and get involved impossible, right? But the moment you made it digital, uh, it just lowered the barriers for people to get engaged. Because then you didn't have you know all those traditional apprehensions about you know do I want to get involved in politics right because because traditionally politics in India had a certain kind of an image hmm. uh, so so that barrier just went away hmm. and then that just made it easier with for all of these people to get involved in and the there politics. were no nepo kids involved there were some investment bankers some that is the them. most important thing in hmm. fact if there is one thing why all of us got involved in this campaign why we related to Mr Modi and even today we don't relate to the Congress. uh that is that one single reason that he is an achiever who you know battled his way up literally from the dumps all the way up from a very humble background because that is the story of all of us right we all came from very average families and we worked our way up in life and here is someone who is you know willing to uh, you know now do this at a mass scale Hmm. Uh, I think that has out motivated everyone. You know, if we go into 2014, which you were saying, you uh, at that time you had these newcomers who came in. You know, technocrats, uh, investment bankers, uh, various people from different walks of life who came in and became part of that 2014 campaign. Um, at that time. covering it from a media angle uh, you know usually when the earlier elections acha ye kon hai ha ha ye na wo rajasthan mein mla uska beta hai wo he's working on uh, on this campaign for kamalnath ji he's working on with gehlot ji so everybody had a connection here the only people who had maybe some of them had the connection was his uncle was in the rss that was it right <laughs> that was the only connection otherwise some of them weren't even that correct right now so here was the media trying to say that okay how do i get an interview from uh, from this person because i have no channel uh, you there was a completely new set of Correct. people who were working with mr modi and mr shah and everybody else so quintessential outsider who comes in with a new set of people in 2014 new set of tools to manage the media puts everybody in a in a quandary as to how do we communicate with this government now how do we communicate with this new set of leaders who are not going to give you uh, information news um interviews just because they are somebody's children and somebody's connection so you this team modi of 2014 rewrote the rules in new delhi Yeah, and I think the finest example of that is the death of the gossip column, <laughs> because mm. today the gossip column, I mean, Indian Express has this. I'm forgetting what it's called. Confidential. Confidential. I mean, it's yeah. laughable. It, there's nothing confidential there. You become smaller and smaller. smaller and uh, so, so the gossip columns have just died because there yeah. is no gossip. Nobody is planting these stories. So, how do you uh, see uh, Mr. Modi's uh, communication skills if you were to compare it with prime ministers of the past, especially Mr. Vajpayee? Because there's a lot that. they talk about you know you were talking about how mr modi has this emotional connect with the people right. so did mr vajpayee but in a different way he right. had that oratorial uh, skills which is co- which was compared to mr nehru right. at one point of time how do you compare mr modi it be unfair to compare mr modi's <laughs> skills with say a uh, dr manmohan singh right. but if you were to compare it with uh, 
with Mr. Vajpayee, where would you put them? Good question, because uh, when we digitized the archives at Prasar Bharti, one of the things that uh, we were able to do was uh, pull out all these old speeches, hmm. uh, you know, all the prime ministerial speeches, uh, different periods, uh, including emergency. We got some real footages from emergency, then Indira Gandhi's speeches from the 80s. Uh, so I did listen to some of these speeches over a period of time. And as you rightly pointed out, of course, Mr. Vajpayee was, had this literary rhetorical flourish in his speeches, uh, which uh, is, you know, a different genre of communication by itself. A poet. It's very poetic, huh? very lyrical, right? It's, uh, and it's very uplifting. Uh, but then he and Mr. Modi share that emotional connect. Mm. I recall I was here in Delhi when the, uh, the 13-day Vajpayee government fell. Mm. And, and that was the first time I think he took a decision that the speech will be shown live, the, uh, the confidence motion will be shown live on Doordarshan. And, and we got to see him speak that day. And in fact, that clip even now does the rounds with Pramod yeah. Mahajan right, Pramod. <laughs> right behind him there. Yeah. Uh, and, and I recall that speech, the way he delivered it, that emotional, uh, hmm. loaded with emotion. I mean, you just felt sorry for what was happening. And I, mean, I could see it in the faces of everyone watching that speech yeah. that day. Uh, so, so that is one thing that you know uh, both Mr. Modi and Mr. Vajpayee share. But uh, the other leaders were not of the television era. They were, of course, Durdashan was there, but it's not you know the, the kind of television era that we are talking about now. Uh, be it Indira Gandhi, be it Rajiv Gandhi, and so on. Uh, Mr. Nehru uh, would be again comparable in terms of uh, you know the the rhetorical, uh, also very intellectual arguments hmm. in his speeches. Uh, but then you see, when I listen to Nehru's speeches, you know, late fifties, early sixties. You can see that age has started catching up with him. Hmm. His speeches were getting boring and uh, also more longer. <laughs> the, that uh, the China debacle yeah, China that delivered such a body blow on yeah. uh, Pandit Nehru that his uh, you you can see a discerning divide in the impact that he yes, had. Absolutely, and he just lost that uh, mojo. In fact, you so we found two television interviews of his hmm. uh, by. Uh, uh, I forget, Michael, Michael S. Arnold, I think, uh, an American uh, TV journalist. Uh, one was 1958, the other was just a few days before, he, I think a week or 10 days before he passed away, uh, his last television interview. And, and you can actually see this, the effect of the China thing, because he's more philosophical, uh, yeah. very introverted. You could make out of so in one of them, uh, I don't recall which interview it was of uh, Pandit Nehru, it was just... I think a couple of weeks before he passed away, the founder of ANI, he was filming that interview and uh, and uh, the camera, you know, the, the batteries had to be changed and it was late night shoot and uh, he said, I want to give this, uh, it wasn't an interview, I think it was more of an address or something like that and the batteries were being changed and the lights had to be changed because the bat the light battery would also burst otherwise. So they, because they were hot lights, it had to be changed and uh, Pandit Nehru fell asleep. He just he just went like that. Uh, maybe low blood pressure or whatever. Right. He just he just fell asleep like that, and he had to be uh, shaken away because you know losing a war is something which is like you said about this emotional speech that uh, Prime Minister Vajpayee did. Uh, he, losing a war is something that I don't think prime ministers can get over that, right. and I don't think Pandit Nehru he didn't get over he it. He didn't yeah. get over it, and 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 <clears throat> it was perfidy. I mean, it was like. China betrayed. Right. He trusted China. So I think uh, to a large extent, uh, communication also, uh, there's a lot of emotion that goes with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. In fact, you see a similar 
change in Indira Gandhi's speeches. Mm. Uh, younger Indira Gandhi, you know, late 60s, very different. In that fact, fire and brimstone. Fire, in fact, she's, uh, you know, she, uh, in her speeches, she ends it with Bharat Mata Ki Jai. I mean, imagine a Congress Prime Minister today saying Bharat Mata Ki Jai. Yeah. Indira Gandhi says that in, in her Independence Day speech. Hmm. Uh, then you, uh, you have the emergency era speeches of Indira Gandhi and you can see that uh, she's angry. There's a, a bitterness. Lot bitterness, a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness. Uh, then something happens in 1980s. I think it's perhaps uh, Sanjay Gandhi's passing away because mm. the speeches from, especially the, I, uh, we have a whole bunch of her campaign speeches, 1980 to 1984. Mm. Uh, she is distracted. She is uh, irritable. Uh, she is not communicating. She is yeah. just rambling. And, and you can make that difference. Very There's a fidgety uh, thing that I noticed uh, when you see the speeches, when, you know, I mean, when, when I was doing my research, when you do, you see, she keeps pulling her uh, pallu on her head continuously. Right. She has that blink that comes in, uh, in that. Uh, in fact, there is a speech, uh, there is an interview with Menaka Gandhi who said that she never was the same person again. She's not. Clearly Once, you can make out because she's yeah. making mistakes. People are trying to correct her, you know, you can... It's all in the audio, so <laughs> it's it's quite obvious. Yeah, uh, that way I think Rajiv Gandhi's speech is perhaps unremarkable. Even nothing much to talk about. There. But then Rajiv Gandhi, he could do no wrong in that first couple of years, yeah. and then uh, was you know things unraveled for him. Chandrasekhar would I mean I feel Chandrasekhar had a phenomenal connect also and quite underrated as a public speaker. I think Without he was doubt. yeah. Even though it was just Hindi, right. he had a good... Then there was Deve Gowda who said that, because I don't know Hindi, <laughs> I can't be, uh, you know, they will not accept me as Prime Minister. And he wanted to learn Hindi yeah. uh, with that. But then we forget Narsimha Rao. Narsimha Rao. He is again a very, very uh, clever communicator. Hmm. Uh, in fact, his speeches, uh, we had digitized his speeches where he talks about the need for economic reform. And he makes a very, very compelling argument. Of course, he is a scholarly Prime Minister again. Hmm. Right, and he's not a people's prime minister. In that polyglot sense. knew yeah, polyglot. so many languages, yeah. but, but spoke only English and Hindi. Even Hindi. though he was so fluent in Marathi, also, uh, I have heard him speak Marathi. You wouldn't uh, know that he's not a Maharashtrian. He spoke so fluently. Telugu, of course, he knew very well. Uh, he knew Spanish, and you know he knew so many languages. But again, was not very communicative in press conferences. He was, in fact, snapping. Now let's come to the <laughs> question on why do you think Prime Minister Modi, what is your view about uh, him not holding press conferences? Well, I think uh, the, the digital era has kind of made the press conference redundant, right? Uh, uh, if, you know, the in the past, I would think you needed press conferences because you needed to get the government to react on various things, right? There was no other avenue or platform for you to get that. Unless, of course, you were in parliament or, uh, you know, uh, in such a setting. Uh, today, on social media, you are on trial every second. Uh, like you said, BJP over-communicates. It's also, it's over-communicating because it's also reacting to, you know, questions that are coming up all the time. Right? And and this fact check has to be done. That has to be clarified. So, in that sense, Modi as an individual may not be, you know, uh, responding, but but that entire machinery is responding 24-7. Uh, so, in that sense, I, I don't see a need for the same way in which, you know, press conferences were uh, needed in the past. Uh, so, so I think that was primarily, to a large extent, uh, you know, contributing to that. But he's also held press interactions, right? It's not that he's not done press interactions at all. Perhaps what people want, and I think uh, this is what the, the Delhi media elite perhaps want, or even the opposition, 
to them it is unless it is adversarial it is not valid i mean i think that's a very negative way of looking at uh, the role of media because unless you are adversarial unless you ask you know uncomfortable questions for the sake of asking uncomfortable questions uh, i i don't agree with that philosophy uh, because uh, the government is being put on trial every day uh, it's not that you know negative op-eds have stopped it's not that you know uh, difficult columns are not being written uh, it's not that you know questions are not being asked they are asked in fact the parliamentary questions are quite uncomfortable i mean i have been on the other side trying to <laughs> reply to those parliamentary mm. questions i know uh, how uh, you know uh, taxing the the entire session can be because people ask very pointed questions and those questions have to be answered because if you don't answer it correctly you're in trouble and you answer it in a certain way where you make a commitment then it becomes a, you know uh, an obligation on parliament and then they track it for <laughs> to death till it is you know fulfilled it becomes an assurance uh, so 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 the government is on trial all the time it is just that the manner in which uh, the the media elite feel satisfied that you know unless it was an adversarial you know uh a gladiatorial interaction with the prime minister it is not it doesn't count but gladiatorial uh, uh, interaction is the one on one interviews which i had in a press conference how can it be gladiatorial well it it depends i mean i've seen press press conferences where you know people ask uh, you know very hostile questions uh, uh, and and it uh, it can get you know go the other way as well uh, but that's why the congress says that look at rahul gandhi he takes all the hostile questions he's such a brave guy uh, well but but then he also uh, you know uh, i remember the recent press conference where he started calling the journalists names and you know so i don't think any side is you know comes out uh, looking better uh, on this count to me i don't think it matters as much because as far as uh, putting the uh, government on the dock asking mm. the hard questions getting responses mm. it is happening 24/7 mm. uh, and uh, and i i think Uh, nobody can make the argument uh, that uh, you know uh, the government is not answering uncomfortable questions hmm. i think it's happening all the time you know um uh, to come back to that uh, thing about this uh, you know people who gave up their jobs and became part of uh, team modi where uh, you know he brought in his own people you also gave up uh, your job you also became yeah. in america it's i'm bringing america again because this is going to air just before prime minister modi's visit to the us in america there's a lot that used to be said about draining the swamp and it used to be said that that's what trump will do when he comes he's going to bring his own team but what ultimately happens is that they become part of the elite in delhi so there are many people who say are khan market gang to ab ye log naye wala khan market gang hai you know they are the they are, they take to the elite of delhi very easily they adapt they adopt uh, the ways of delhi very easily they become part of the establishment do you think that uh, mr modi's team also not really no okay. i don't i don't think it's the same thing at all hmm. uh, because most of these people have gone back to doing you know various things mm. it's not that they become permanent fixtures in delhi mm. uh, like my term ended you know i left office there are several others i know who have gone back to the private sector you know uh, are doing their thing uh, in different ways they continue to be involved in in, in social initiatives and in, in perhaps campaign initiatives but it's not the same thing mm. uh, i don't think a new set of elite have uh, taken root uh, in that sense mm. uh, uh, however going back to your earlier question about press conferences i just wanted to add one point sure. there uh i think in his mind uh the purpose is a little bigger it's much larger uh in fact uh, when you look at man ki baat as well and and you look at uh, most of his speeches right it's really a question of are you focused on the glass being half full or half empty uh the the adversarial school of thought of media is all about focusing on half empty right this is not working that is not there 
this grievance, you know, that misery. All the focus, all the debate is on that. And that is what, I mean, think of a press conference where you're only discussing about the gas being half full. I don't think it'd be a very interesting press conference, right? Yeah. Uh, so, 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 so in his mind, uh, it is about 24-7, the media is anyway going to focus on negative things. Let me put my energy on positive things. Let me, you know, talk about positivity because that is the only way I can motivate people to get involved in the developmental change. And you see that with Man Ki Baat, you see that with his other initiatives. Right. Uh, for those of you who don't know about uh, Man Ki Baat, who, uh, who live abroad, uh, here's a short primer. Uh, Man Ki Baat is a monthly radio program by Prime Minister Modi where he addresses the people of the country. Um, and the one-way communication is Mr. Modi's uh, speaking about various government initiatives and uh, the demystification of government policies and programs. So, um, Shashi, you've written this book. It's, it's very interesting. So, I, I haven't heard all episodes of Man Ki Baat. So, I enjoyed reading this and also the linkages that you brought in, you know, when you talk about the it being a kind of a mirror about uh, the diversities of India. You know, so many things we didn't know about, you know, people who've achieved things which come out out here. Uh, so, it's it's come out in this, uh, the when the 100 episodes of uh, Man Ki Baat is over. And in this book, you say that communication is uh, is a metaphor for the diversity of India. Can you just expand a little bit for those who haven't read the book and should read the book? <laughs> so, uh, when we look at India, right, uh, again, this is true of Western media. The, the narrative that uh, the Western media or the global media is largely influenced by is the narrative of what the media uh, talks about in Delhi. What they miss out is that, you know, India is not Delhi. India is far more diverse, uh, both geographically, linguistically, culturally, uh, with very wide socio-economic disparities. So there's no, you know, if you have to understand India, you have to understand its length and breadth. You have to understand this complexity, uh, this diversity. Uh, and I think Man Ki Baat as a platform, as a communication platform, is a very good metaphor for understanding all of that. Uh, because uh, when he uh, talks about various issues, be it uh, cleanliness, be it water conservation, uh, be it uh, going cashless with digital talks of startups. He is not talking about Bangalore alone. He's not talking about Pune alone. Uh, in fact, on the back cover of the book, you uh, there is this uh, young lady entrepreneur from uh, Manipur uh, who has done interesting products using Lotus Stem. So he talks about her. In fact, she featured even in the 100th episode where he mm. you know, conversed with her. What was the impact of Monkey Bath on your work? Uh, so, so you're talking of uh, people and their uh, life-changing stories from across India that have made an appearance on Man Ki Baat. Uh, then he talks of various languages. He talks about different cultural, uh, you know, festivals, traditions. Uh, and then he links them to the change initiative, the big change initiatives uh, that he's been championing, be it on the cleanliness side, be it on the water conservation side, uh, going plastics free and so on. Uh, what he has uh, clearly figured out is that mass scale, you know, at a scale of a billion, behavioral change cannot happen through diktat. It can't be the China way. You know, we can't just, you know, uh, just roll out uh, initiatives and expect that, you know, people will just uh, take to them. Uh, it can't just happen with government schemes. It can't just happen with communication. It requires people's participation at the grassroots level. And the only way that will happen is when there are grassroots level change agents who make this their own mission. Then they inspire others. So it creates that multiplier effect. Hmm. Uh, and I think that is what you see with Man Ki Baat, that it is able to communicate to this diversity across India, uh, where uh, be it uh, 
handicapped person in Kerala, he feels as strongly about swachhta and uh, cleanliness as a prime minister sitting in Delhi. I think that is just amazing. You know, you speak about uh, the spirit of inclusion. It comes several times in the book, uh, where the prime minister speaks about it, and you are linking in the book this uh, that the spirit of inclusion. But uh, the critics uh, who uh, write about Monkey Bath and who who are uh, who, of course, they criticize it being you know always his own experiences. But it's not that. It's it's the stories of India. It's right. not the prime minister is just narrating it, but there are these are stories about India. But the spirit of inclusion and the spirit of diversity that you are bringing in the book too. The criticism also is that BJP as a party and the government of Mr. Modi they don't appreciate diversity and they don't appreciate the spirit of inclusion that they talk about. They. Uh, they are they want that one size fits all uh, just for an example is hindi south indians feel that this they are ramming hindi down the throat or else um cultural uh, aspect too what do you have to say to that i think man ke baad demolishes that quite convincingly when you look at uh, in fact i have a whole chapter on languages uh, where i talk about how he has championed tamil uh, the sheer number of tamil poets Uh, Tamil iconic personalities that have made an appearance in Monkey Bar, I and mean, it's just mind blowing. Uh, then he talks about uh, how Subramanya Bharati wrote a poem in Tamil, mm. describing Sister Nivedita and her work. And Sister Nivedita uh, sponsors and uh, boosts Jagdish Chandra Bose's scientific research. So making these connections, right? It, this is not one size fits all. It's basically finding the threads of commonness across this diversity of india and and you see that with monkey bar especially with south india where you know this rhetoric is uh, sengol comes after the 100th episode <laughs> so i'm not even talking about not sengol not even talking about <laughs> sengol, talking about sengol. Uh-huh. Uh, without even going there just look at the number of people hmm. who have taken inspiration from his initiatives and have actually done work on the ground in south india rajapan he is completely paralyzed waist down he cannot stand he crawls he has taken it up upon himself to go to these lakes near his house and remove plastics purely because he was inspired by swachh bharat which you write about millets millets uh, then you have this bus conductor in in tamil nadu who uh, distributes saplings hmm. so people have found various ways hmm. uh, of uh, you know engaging with his initiatives becoming change agents within their community and and this is not happening because you know all of them uh, got converted to uh, hindi and, and you know took to these uh, initiatives they all related to this common themes uh, culturally because india has a lot of cultural commonality across its diversity and it is that thread that connects uh, you know him with these various change agents various communities uh, which has made this possible uh, so so i don't quite agree with this view that uh, you know di- they don't understand diversity or their conception of diversity is different what my problem with you know, the way diversity has been articulated it is all about grievance it is located in hurt in grievances it is that you know i am different i have been deprived of something it's always that negative hmm. uh, you know way of looking at it his diversity his approach to diversity is the positive way of looking at it, that we may be different but here are things that we share in common let us find common ground let us actually do something right, right. so so i think that is the fundamental difference in fact if you draw a line today in uh, indian politics what is the fundamental you know defining fault line uh, here is mr modi trying to argue that the glass is half full uh, and Uh, we need to look for common threads across this diversity not focus on hurt not focus only on grievances 
but look at the positivity look at you know what change is possible while the other side is all about the glass is half empty here are our divisions here is how we are different uh, here is our grievances here is our hurt these right. are the fissures and fissures. yeah okay so uh, the foreword for the book is uh, written by dr jay shankar external affairs minister um in the book now tell me how um, foreign policy is important and especially because as i said this will be aired just before prime minister modi's uh, visit to the us uh, his communication with the diaspora the impact of that and foreign policy and man ki baat both these points and foreign policy and man ki baat i think uh, very early on um, it makes an appearance right you yeah. are you're pretty much in the fourth episode of man ki baat january of 2015 president obama does a joint address with uh, prime minister taking on questions uh, so i think it started off on that very high note potus uh, and lotus i remember <laughs> that whole talk at that time yeah right so, uh, so and uh, and and then over the years uh, across episodes uh, you see uh, not only the diaspora making an appearance because of course he's talking about you know people of indian origin uh, in different countries doing different things either there or coming to india and doing stuff Uh, for example he talks about this uh, maharashtrian couple who live in new jersey uh, who have popularized malkam in the us uh, he talks about these brothers from malkam uh, is a traditional explain, indian yeah. sport hmm. uh, then uh, he uh, talks about uh, these uh, brothers from nagpur who uh, you know participated in a rally in the us uh, to you know create awareness around tribal uh, issues so 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 diaspora is a very constant uh, factor but he's gone beyond that he has talked about uh, Uh, not just pe- you know people other than uh, those of indian origin who have uh, become ambassadors sort of for indian soft power be it yoga uh, be it sanskrit uh, be it ayurveda uh, he he gives multiple examples for example he talks about uh, khadi in mexico uh, there is a gentleman who is popularizing khadi in mexico he talks about uh, this lady in the us who is uh, you know written a beautiful book on uh, krishna and bhagavad gita and so on Uh, he talks about how sanskrit is being popularized in latin america hmm. uh, but uh, what is most interesting uh, is uh, this former uh, african leader his daughter uh, comes to india uh, to get treated uh, in a kerala uh, ayurvedic center yeah. uh, for her uh, eye condition now this gets coverage in the local media in africa uh, and 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 this gentleman then uh, in the upcoming elections in his country talks about i want to bring you know indian traditional medicine uh, to africa so that you know more people can benefit now that is a very tangible measure of the impact of soft power hmm. and and you see all of this on man ki baat so in that sense uh, it is uh, become a platform for advancing uh, india's soft power through these various hmm. uh, avenues from yoga to uh, ayush to you know sanskrit and traditional indian sports uh, diaspora playing a role uh, people who have a very deep appreciation for indian culture in various countries dev uh, the ramayana the buddhism all that all comes that. in international leaders international yes uh, but i think man ki baat at a different level i think uh, dr jayashankar talks about this as well hmm. uh, it is also uh, we also do it in 11 foreign languages hmm. and uh, uh, it is a way for the west or you know the, the global uh, community to understand how you can achieve developmental change at this scale of a billion with this kind of diversity because the world has only seen the china model the china model is undemocratic uh, it completely uh, erases any diversity any traces of diversity uh, when they roll out developmental projects you have no idea what grievances have just been swept under the carpet or just been steamrolled 
I recall during a visit uh, to uh, Chengdu, uh, you know, I was passing through this uh, certain part of town where you could very clearly make out that it's a fresh development, uh, you know, completely leveled and, and a new construction is going to come up. Uh, but then you can see traces that, you know, uh, earlier dwellings were leveled just to the ground. Leveled to the ground. Mm. So, so God knows what misery and what human stories have yeah. just been, you know, erased there. Then you look at the developmental model of India, right? Of course, that is uh, there's a lot of noise. Uh, it is not a straight line. It is not a smooth yeah. field. Uh, there's all kinds of grievances, all kinds of debates, discussions. But then he's not done it uh, with uh, either uh, in an authoritarian, uh, dictatorial way. He's not done it. Uh, in a uh, you know a manner where it is always about uh, grievance and hurt is done it with positivity and i think it is a very important example for several other countries that you can achieve development at this scale with this kind of diversity with this kind of complexity with a very positive approach so when you when you became ceo of prasar bharti was that one of your uh, one of your points pinpoints <laughs> that okay this is what i've got to do so tell me what was it like to get that mammoth machinery of uh, Prasar Bharti get, to get it going? Well, I mean, I, I, w I will not even claim to have, you know, had this level of abstract thought uh, when I stepped in. It was more, okay, here is a job, let me <laughs> take this on, uh, see mm. what I can do there. Um, now, luckily for me, before I became the CEO, I was also a part-time board member. So, I got to see what was the reality of, uh, you know, public television, public radio in India, uh, something that we all grew up with, something that influenced us uh, over the years. Uh, and, and it was very clear that uh, when people say, you know, the UPA decade was a lost decade, uh, this is a shine. I mean, it can't be any more real than what I saw in Prasar Bharti. Really? Uh, Ten years wasted because uh, no IT, no modernization. Uh, this organization was completely living in the past. Hmm. Uh, the past glory of the monopoly era. It had just not prepared itself for uh, the future or forget the future, even the present it was 20 years of private TV had already happened. Yes, that is the that is the irony. <laughs> that is okay. the irony. So, so, uh, so when people claim that the UPA decade was a lost decade, it is not an understatement. It is a statement of fact hmm. uh, because no modernization had happened. No grievances were resolved. Uh, believe me, I had to deal with more than 1,000 court cases. I would get a contempt notice from <laughs> God for any, every God for second corner of India because some court somewhere hmm. uh, you know, uh, passed a verdict. Reason being, uh, you had all these HR issues going back to the late 90s, which were not resolved. And, uh, and, and there were no IT systems to speak of. Everything was paper-based. Uh, so to take that organization, to modernize it, make it competitive in the present era, I think was a, quite a challenge. And uh, the COVID period also kind of helped in a way because it just forced everyone to change. Because otherwise, there's that uh, natural human Inertia to change, right? Resistance to change. So the te technocrats were brought in. Uh, there's a lot of talk that we should get outside talent, and so that this Indian bureaucracy is changed, and it's time for bureaucratic reforms and all that. But it's a slothful animal, Indian right. bureaucracy, right. and especially so in the year before elections, when the bureaucracy smells that there could be change in yeah. <laughs> uh, in the regime, right. they stop. They stop putting into effect government programs and schemes. You would have seen this yeah, happening, yeah. right? Now now that you're a Dillywala, yeah. you know In how fact, it happens. It's quite illuminating. It was a learning experience for me mm. to understand how and why you know, the bureaucracy operates in a certain way. And it's not about individuals. Mm. Uh, I think most of the individuals are professionals and uh, many of them are 
you know people that uh, you know you can work with at a personal level uh, i think what happens is collectively the bureaucracy has a certain culture which i think has been shaped by the kind of uh, compliance rules that we have imposed on them uh, be it with the vigilance be it with rti be it with audits uh, you know for example the coal secretary uh, during the upra when he's only one who's gone to jail while everyone else is you know the politicians are fine right Mm. so bureaucracy has a tendency to play it safe because uh, you know to them it is a big deal because if their pensions are stopped when it hurts them really badly because they're not making uh, you know private sector salaries right? mm. uh, so so that matters a lot to them so so that their natural tendency is to play it safe and hence they are very cautious hence the slothfulness i mean it's uh, it's the result of you know this entire uh, superstructure that has been imposed on the bureaucracy uh, and so when an outsider comes in unless you understand this entire setup and you understand the motives what are the incentives for getting something done what are the cautions that you know the red lines that you need to respect unless you understand all of that it's very difficult even for a lateral hire to come and day one make a difference or make a change i think it's that's a very important learning hmm. uh, and and you got to understand the general financial rules how procurement is done because discretion has been completely outlawed <laughs> thanks to you know cag uh-huh. right so you can't take discretionary decisions you have to follow process so you can't buy a camera l1 l2 hoga <laughs> exactly kuch nahi hoga and then you can't even do it by dictat ha huh. uh, you have to you know you have to let this system take that decision it's very important hmm. uh, so so to to uh, to be mindful of these things and to get change done within you know those constraints is very important hmm. uh, so even if you bring in a lateral for him to be or her to be effective uh one this education is very important to understand you know the rules the compliances how decisions are taken within the the government system second is you got to empower them because ultimately in the government system what matters are what powers have you have been delegated with if you are unable to exercise administrative powers you if you are unable to exercise financial powers you are practically toothless you can write all the notes that you want you can give all the gyan that you want it you know it doesn't add up to so uh, when prime minister decided to do a uh, manki baat it was it was this conscious decision ki radio pe hi karna hai uh, and many people said that it was just basically replicating what uh, pandit nehru had at that time decided radio pe talking to the people why is it only radio why is it not television why is it not uh, i mean of course you are playing the stream on right. uh, tv and there is on social media too but why didn't he come on camera to do it because every day he is speaking in some format or the other he is speaking to some targeted audience so why not on tv too so uh, in fact he talks about it why radio uh, he has elaborated that in mm. one of the uh, episodes and it's mentioned in the book as well Uh, so he talks about this incident when he was not the chief minister he was a you know an organizing secretary yeah. in the bjp he is in himachal and uh, he had stopped at some uh, 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 roadside tea stall and where he uh, gets to listen on the radio uh, you know breaking news of that uh, period then he says it struck me that you know how important radio is at these remote corners that that's the only way you, you even know, you a get. cm community radio was a big uh, initiative by his government right. uh, especially there were women uh, who were manning those community radio stations that covered those stories several of, several of them have yeah. come up uh, so so radio in that sense to him was uh, the the medium with the widest reach geographically mm-hmm. and which is true today that uh, the geographical reach of uh, radio cannot be matched by anybody else once you get into for example the tribal pockets of chatisgarh or jharkhand or the northeast uh, you don't have private uh, media serving uh, those audiences 
right? They're focused on the urban centers and the population centers. That's about it. Who's going to communicate in Chhattisgarh or, you know, Santhali or uh, uh, Kokborok or, you know, all these various dialects. Uh, you, it's only All India Radio that does that. 100 plus, you know, languages and dialects. Uh, so, so that was the reason why, in his mind, you know, it had to be radio. Secondly, I think uh, radio as a medium, I mean, for example, podcasting, right? I think listening has its value. Hmm. Uh, you don't, you're not distracted by the visual gimmicks. You're not distracted by, uh, right. right? You're focused on the message. And I think that is the other reason why, uh, because it's not about, people are not looking at him when they're listening to Man Ki They're listening to his uh, substance of what he's saying. When you had your meetings with him, what was your takeaway? What was the first meeting with uh, Mr. Modi like? <laughs> so this is 2011 when he was chief minister and I was visiting India at that time for a personal uh, visit. And uh, so they asked me if I would like to come to uh, meet him in Gandhinagar and because my blog was you know, being read and shared at that time. Uh, so I go to meet him and <clears throat> this was at his uh, home office. And what struck me, I mean, the first impression is that uh, it was operating like a professional corporate. Uh, there were no hangers on because you typically go to any political office or a ministry. You see all kinds of people hanging around, so much of noise, a uh, lot yeah, of distraction. To me too, the silence right. is the first thing that I noticed. You there go to his no office, it's Spartan. Spartan. Second thing, they give you a time. It's working like clockwork. People are being called in uh, and, uh, you know, they're done. They leave, so it's it's very predictable. That was the second impression. Uh, and the first, I mean, one thing that I was because I had never met a politician ever in my life. That was the really? first time I was going to meet a politician. Interesting. Uh, huh. I mean, of course, I've had people visit my home, but it's it was different. No, it's different. Yeah, different. This is the first time I, I personally, you know, went to meet a politician. Uh, so I didn't know what to do. How am I supposed to greet him? Am I supposed to, you know, uh, touch his feet or? Mm -hmm. Uh, so all this was going on in my head and then I walk into the room and he has solved all that. He stood up and he, you know, extended his hand and made it very easy. I just had to go and shake his hand. And uh, so so that, that was, uh, and then of course we sit, just the two of us. And uh, I realized something that he's as introverted as I am. So there was that awkward silence. He's waiting for me to talk. I was waiting for him to talk. <laughs> uh, so, and then of course, uh, you know, the, the silence breaks. He had read your blog. He was reading my blog. Hmm. And uh, in fact, that was the trigger for how I got connected with him at that time. Hmm. Uh, because there was this one uh, incident. But I, you weren't blogging only about uh, politics. You were blogging about terrorism, yeah, all about history, about uh, all, all everything. Kinds of uh, so yeah, one so that incident you're talking yeah, about. One particular yeah. incident, which was the trigger was, I think this was 2010 or 11, I'm forgetting, uh, 2010, I guess. Uh, when uh, Siddharth Varadarajan writes uh, this article saying that, uh, you know what, we have no faith in the judicial system in India. The only way we are going to get Modi is we should take it to the International uh, Court of, I think, Criminal Court or Court of Justice, the Rome Statute or something like that. Uh, so I recall writing a blog saying that, you know, this is such a stupid argument. First of all, you've, you know, given a no confidence on Indian judiciary. Uh, second, you want to take Indian matters outside uh, India to, you know, a different uh, platform altogether. Third, India was not even a signatory to Rome Statute, so it doesn't even apply. But you're changing the goalpost now because you've realized that, you know, CBI can't get him, SID can't get him, you know, mm. <laughs> Delhi High Court can't get him, uh, Gujarat High Court can't get him. So uh, let's let's do this kind of thing. Uh, and, and so that particular blog where uh, detailed out, you know, various things, I think that caught their attention that, you know, nobody had done that kind of analysis. That, mm. So that, that was kind of the trigger uh, when I went to meet him. Uh, 
so that first meeting was you know, an interesting uh, learning experience it became clear to me in his mind that he was clear that uh, he wanted to uh, lead india hmm. and uh, of course then of course events eventually unfolded so that's what made you take that leap of faith <laughs> after that meeting to leave your job almost and, almost yeah? yes hmm So was it at that stage after your meeting with him or uh, that you took that leap of faith and you said okay I want to be part of the India story there are many who uh, you know who uh, overseas Indians who have that dream that they want to come back to India and they want to work but the uncertainty uh, of Indian politics Indian uh, systems is what scares them but not only did you move you moved with your children and I know of many like you uh, who felt that Uh, yeah they india's at that stage where they want to do this uh, this thing so tell me about people like you uh, who who you know who linked their wagon with what <laughs> mr modi wanted to do in india so uh, in fact after i met him on my way back you know, from uh, i took the flight from ahmedabad i had a stopover in bombay and that is when i met rajesh jain uh, and uh, and that was the first time we actually spoke about you know creating a digital platform hmm Uh, and then of course i returned back uh, to india in 2012 i joined rajesh in 2013 by then uh, he kanchan and others had already created niti central niti digital uh, and then of course that's how it all uh, rolled out uh, so that was a big decision and and a very uh, difficult decision right because you had this comfort of being in the west uh, and to leave that to come to india deal with this uncertainty and india was not an easy place to settle in Hmm. Right, right from trying to get a telephone connection to getting your water bill. To, first of all, to find a place to live in, so it's quite challenging. And this is 21st century, and still it's difficult. It's still right. quite challenging. Hmm. Uh, so, and then the schools, uh, because hmm. there's so much of demand, it's so hard to get into a uh, hmm. you know good school. And so, all these decisions had to be dealt with. Uh, while you know, at the back of mind, you have this thing that you know you got to do something different, hmm. and which also meant. Uh, stepping out of the comfort zone of your corporate hmm. uh, career, and I think that was the toughest call to make. Regrets? No, 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 not no. at all. <laughs> not at all. Okay, <laughs> you keep regrets. going back to the US. Uh, uh, the reason I ask is because uh, there are many I know in the US who want to do what you did, but are reticent right. about the very challenges that you talk about. Correct, correct. And it's not easy because several of my peers. Uh, did stay back. Some even went back hmm. uh, with their children, and uh, so, uh, so in my mind, it was always uh, one thing was very clear. And uh, when I look at uh, you know the politics in the U.S. or just life, forget politics, right? Even hmm. life, you will always be an outsider. It will never be your land. Really? Uh, and hmm. I was reminded of this quite rudely within the first. Uh, month of me stepping into the US in 1998 so i had gone as a young techie <laughs> to uh, from infosys to work on a client project and uh, so this was uh, a saturday i just got my uh, driver's instruction uh, permit and so the condition in the instruction permit is you're not supposed to drive alone you should have someone uh, with a driver's license with you uh, so that day for some reason uh, i i i was driving alone and i jumped a red light so i was pulled up by the cop and the cop then looks at you know uh, the instruction permit he figures out i'm an immigrant and he tells me something which has remained with me to this date uh, he says that 
this driver's license is not your right. It's a privilege because you're an immigrant. We can take it away from you any day. And that stayed with me that this is never going to be my land. <laughs> it's always going to be a, hmm. I will always be a guest. Hmm. Uh, and and uh, that is the reason why I didn't, uh, you know, give up my citizenship as well. I retained my Indian passport. So this dichotomy is there in many immigrants' minds, you know. When they're there, it's their heart pulls towards back home and uh, their mind tells them that no stay here because you've got children their future and so there's this constant thing that works now um, they also are very linked to politics in india uh, i'm going to come to uh, mr rahul gandhi's visit uh, recent visits to the us uh, where he spoke to indians out there and uh, it could be that you know he had specific uh, audiences there but he spoke about uh, an india which uh, to many of them it seems that it's gloom and doom now what he was saying that uh, in india there is uh, there's trouble so uh, you must have heard the speeches and now the prime minister is going to the us he's probably going to the same areas <laughs> uh, so tell me uh, the the way mr rahul gandhi connects with the diaspora and the way prime minister modi connects with the diaspora the differences it goes back to that fundamental difference that i talked about right when when prime minister modi is connecting with the diaspora or is talking speaking to an international audience he's talking about the glass being half full he's talking about uh, hope positivity you know the change that's possible he's you know in a very visionary way uh, looking at the future looking at the present while if you look at uh, rahul gandhi's his entire rhetoric uh, in fact the kind of organizations that he chose the kind of settings that he has participated in uh, it is all about hurt and grievances and you know uh, the negativity that you know this is not happening that's not happening india is you know democracy is dying this whole false narrative Uh, and 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 that's what he's trying to communicate so there is that very clear uh, difference and uh, when i look at uh, the press release that was put up by this organization which seems to have coordinated most of his events uh, this indian american muslim council uh, they they've issued this long press release uh, asking the uh, speaker of the uh, us congress uh, to disinvite the prime minister from you know giving that uh, uh, joint uh, session address and and that entire press release is replete with lies uh, things that are not even factual like you know uh, absolutely ridiculous pre- preposterous claims that 200 million uh, indian muslims are going to be disenfranchised by the caa they'll be reduced to a second class status when there are things that are complete lies and mr rahul gandhi has gone to the us patronized by these people uh, to make these arguments i think it's i mean it's very unfortunate hmm. uh, it, it, it troubles me because uh, you're doing this on a foreign land Uh, where you should have been speaking for the entire country all of india uh, instead you've taken this very very narrow perspective uh, and and you focused on these fault lines and you're trying to deepen these fault lines where the diaspora to you uh, is this activist community uh, which will create disaffection back home uh, when uh, for all the wrong things about the sedition law if there is one thing one reason why it should perhaps exist is you know things like these where Uh, you can't have foreign agents working to create disaffection in india on uh, you know on topics which are completely baseless hmm. and if you were to compare prime minister modi uh, how how does he connect so well with the diaspora as compared to the earlier prime ministers also we, i've covered several prime ministers and it was basically uh, prime ministers talking about what is happening back in india or what is their priority with the country Uh, that he's visited, but whereas uh, 
वेर इज मिस्टर मोदी वॉट ही डज इज ही सीम्स टू नो द पल्स ऑफ द डायसपोरा इन दैट पर्टिकुलर कंट्री एंड ही टॉक्स अबाउट दैम आई मीन वी जस्ट सॉ द ऑस्ट्रेलिया इवेंट आई मीन दैट वॉज लाइक मैसिव एंड यू कैन एक्सपेक्ट दैट आई गेस इवन इन द यू एस नाउ एब्सोल्यूटली इनफैक्ट the underlying phenomenon here because since i have been an immigrant as well i have been part of the diaspora as well i recall in 2002 or 2003 i'm forgetting one of those mm. two years uh, so i was in chicago uh, downtown chicago uh, the hilton there uh, is where the vips stay and it was very interesting uh, so the first day when i landed in chicago for a conference that week uh, president george bush was staying at that hilton so uh, right opposite to the hilton you had these uh, activists holding uh, you know all sorts of placards uh, criticizing the uh, afghan iraq war at that time uh, you know abusing president bush and so on and they were mostly from one community hmm. two days later at the same chicago hilton you have uh, lk adwani deputy prime minister of india visiting he is also staying at the same and you have the same set of characters protesting on the other side of the street holding placards calling him butcher of india and you know all kinds of nonsense and again they're all from the same community so uh, uh, and and you see the faces of the cops who were you know managing that the disdain the disgust because of the manner in which these protests were being done i think what has changed with mr modi is uh, he is given the larger diaspora sense of pride when you go to these events uh, the immense sense of pride of being an indian being of indian origin and uh, how india has changed I think that is what is making his diaspora events so successful, and his diaspora connect so strong. Because it's that sense of pride. Because all said and done, uh, despite Silicon Valley, despite you know all these achievers, uh, the Indian community has not had that space uh, within the, the the Western societies uh, as perhaps some of the other immigrant communities have had. It's only in the last decade that it has started to change in a big way, and I think it's primarily because of uh, Mr. Modi's connect. yeah and also the space that a indian prime ministerial visit to a particular country the space that that occupies in the local media it never used to they won't forget about the column space it never appeared anywhere in even in social media let alone traditional yeah, absolutely media. in fact <laughs> recall uh, you would uh, you know barely get a mention on a charlie rose or uh, forget the meet the press or you know any of the sunday no. shows hardly any press and musharraf used to get on meet the press he would he would be there everywhere at unga and things like that our prime ministers were never there and you just felt that it's so wrong that in a country like america instead of giving space to a democratically elected prime minister you are giving space to a military dictator on your uh, television channels in But fact it was quite worse i recall when uh, 98 when i landed in the us was when uh, pokhran 2 happened and sanctions were imposed and c-span was carrying a uh, live uh, of the congressional hearing the senate hearings uh, on sanctions on india and you had this republican senator jesse helms i think is no more now uh, and and uh, testifying was uh, the uh, the congressman from uh, uh, new jersey who was very well known as a uh, you know an india friend stephen solars yes uh, so jesse helms has this demeanor which is very very you know uh, I won't call it condescending. Let me put mm. it that way. I won't call it racist. I'll call it condescending. So in a very condescending way, he says, "You know, I don't understand what India is up to. What are they thinking? Uh, you know, they're shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, what do you think? If you know, can we do a regime change? Can we bring the Congress to power? Imagine. Imagine. This is Jesse Helm asking Stephen Solars, and Stephen Solars' reply was amazing. 
He says, if I know anything about my Indian friends, you try to do that, the protests will not be in front of the Prime Minister's office, they'll be in front of the US Embassy. So, <laughs> you can't even think of, you know, trying to effect Stephen Solar is a great friend of India. I mean, uh, uh, those of you who don't, uh, who haven't uh, read about India-US relations, do read about his contributions uh, and, you know, to to demystify uh, this relationship and to put India's point of view uh, in a very uh, honest manner in the US. I think, and also if you uh, recall, uh, the Indian ambassador, uh, the grilling that he had to face on American television after the Pokhran blast. Oh my God, it was, it was brutal. Absolutely. Right. Uh, but now... Uh, to come from there to here. To I come from here to... Dramatic shift, of course. Uh, even the Manmohan Singh government contributed to it as well with the nuclear sure, deal. Sure, with the I nuclear deal, things away. changed. Yeah, yes. I wouldn't think, think that away from And that. I think President Obama and uh, George Bush and Dr. Manmohan Singh and then President Obama and uh, Dr. Manmohan Singh to a large extent, uh, you know, it's that trickle-down effect when your president and prime minister get along well and uh, there is a deep admiration then that kind of uh, and then you saw that with Trump and uh, Mr. Modi he was a fact he was an unknown factor for the Indian bureaucracy not just that even Obama and Modi as well between Obama and Manmohan Singh if it was about mutual respect with Obama and Modi it is about you know the humble origins and and working their way up that life story so similar Hmm. Uh, with both of them, I think that connected, which is why in the first visit itself, you see they bonded very well. Uh, right. Strongly. Correct. Though there was that one awkward uh, speech at uh, Siri Fort in which he said that uh, India should respect its diversity or to some extent, <laughs> some some uh, strange comment like that was there. But yeah, um, what do you see now? Because, uh, you know, with the year before elections is really, you know, when almost a lame duck uh, president and the uh, with with Biden, nobody knows whether he returns as president or not. To that effect, uh, Prime Minister Modi's visit. What do you think would be the takeaways in this visit that one ha- one should focus on? I think the the clear takeaway that is emerging is uh, now the relationship is on a different footing. Right? You see, uh, the Defense Secretary was here, the National Security Advisor was there. At various levels, uh, India and the US have connected despite not having had an ambassador for a long time. Uh, and uh, uh, the fact that they're going to, uh, you know, announce uh, this joint development of the engines uh, for the aircrafts, uh, the fact that uh, Air India has played this huge order with Boeing and uh, the president uh, acknowledged that. So India and the US are now connecting at a very different level, both economically, strategically with Quad, you know, all of these hmm. uh, critical emerging technologies. Hmm. Uh, so, so I think the, the takeaway is that uh, it is now beyond the election cycles. Uh, it's beyond you know, individual leaders. It's, uh, it's basically a convergence of interests and a lot of shared values. Uh, even the history of both India and the US, if you see how these two democracies have evolved, a lot of parallels, a lot of uh, similarities. Uh, and of course, their approach to diversity has been that of a melting pot. Our approach to diversity is finding that uh, you know, centuries-old cultural connect across India. Uh, but uh, both these democracies have something to show to the world, hmm. uh, and, uh, and 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 it's a model which is very distinct from the Chinese model, uh, and and that is a takeaway. That right. On that note, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Wishing you a lot of success on your book. Do read it, buy it, read it, uh, and uh, all the best for the future. Thank you.
Thank you for watching or listening in to this podcast. Do like or subscribe on whichever channel you have seen this or heard this. Namaste. Jai Hind.